Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This podcast series explores HR hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life HR learning and OD professionals. The HR Uprising is about learning through collaboration and evidence-based action. We want colleagues to have the confidence and skills to rise up through their organizations by delivering real, lasting business value. Now, introducing your host, chartered psychologist, experienced change agent, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach, Lucinda Carney. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney, and this week we're going to do a masterclass on resilience and stress management. Now, I feel really honoured to have um, an ex-international rugby star, Charlie Hodgson, with me today. Um, also from Sale and Saracens, for those of you who are rugby fans. And now you're a corporate wellbeing coach, Charlie. So in a great position to share your insights, which I guess have come through your career, but also what you do with people in the business world now, in terms of how you can basically help us to be more effective by looking at our wellbeing and resilience, I guess. Yes, well, thanks for having me. You're very uh, welcome. Uh, yeah, I wanted to be able to use my experience for my rugby career in a, in a, in a different um, form, I think. I always enjoyed the coaching and the mentoring side as a player, working with the younger players coming through. And so I wanted to be able to use that, um, that interest in coaching to be able to, um, to, be able to work with people in, in, in a different industry. I didn't want to stay in rugby, I wanted to do something different. And um, I guess the idea of working with people within business was the next best thing. Uh, and certainly through my career, there were a lot of times when uh, you have some good moments, you have some amazing moments, but of course you also have the the pretty crappy moments as well. And and a lot of that is down to managing the anxiety, managing that stress for, for performance. And at times, certainly earlier on in my career, I, there were times when I when I really struggled to be able to deal with it, to be able to cope with it. And so through a little bit of luck, I think, from just a bit of um, trial and error of working out how I could do it. And of course now, now working it and understanding a little more, I'm, I'm in a better position to be able to, um, I guess, use that credibility from my career and talk about my own personal experience, but at the same time back at it with the academics as well. So were you given any support in terms of learning about resilience when you were out there? Because I can't imagine anything harder really than going onto an international sports stage with everybody looking at you and also hopes of everybody behind you. No, you're not. No. Well, actually, you are now. I think oh, back in the day um, when I when I first started playing, I mean, the game had only been professional for a few years, uh, and I think this idea of sports psychologists and uh, team psychologists they they were around, but there was very little knowledge of the impact that they could or should have. Uh, so you had to fend for yourself. So it was very much about yeah, work it out for yourself. I certainly made a lot of mistakes from speaking to the press and being probably honest about my appraisals with the press, at which point things are just getting erupted in the in the media and then I'm getting hounded all the time because of my performances, all this sort of stuff, and then the impact that therefore has on family and me being more, even more introverted and all this sorts of stuff that's going on. I mean, I mean, I think that's really timely. At the time of, of, of recording this, obviously this recording go out in a few weeks' time, but we've had the whole sort of be kind of the Caroline Flack being hounded, you know, mm. to suicide. And there's a much more of awareness, I think, of the impact of press on psyche. It doesn't mean that it's less so, but we, yeah. we're a bit more aware of that. So you had that I mean, in your not, own... Not to say that I, w- I wasn't hounded from a personal point of view, 
but it's certainly when it when it when they're talking about your performance and you getting comments left, right, and centre from lots of different people, and then at the age of social media when that kicks in and people then having their own individual input into what they think of your performance, if you start to read these things, it really it really has an impact on what um, on what you do and how you react off the back of it. And like I said, when I initially it was um, well, I'm, as I'm, I'm introverted by nature, so. I'm never always going to be the most outspoken person. And when 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 all this happened uh, and the press went to town on me about my performance, it almost caused me to be even more introverted. And then I'd withdraw myself from social situations and uh, had an impact with my girlfriend, who's now my wife. But like loads of things are going on. So not only did you see the impact on the, on the field, but actually you're realizing this impact is having externally that's also. So you're internalized. So I mean, I'm not sure whether that's exactly the same as introversion in terms of the thing, but you also internalized any of that sort of angst and pain. I suppose so yeah, maybe because you deal with it internally yeah, rather than talk it, about I it. I didn't with it. I dealt with it internally. I, yeah. I didn't share with anybody. Perhaps the person I should have shared with most, the sports psychologist at the time, was somebody that I didn't actually get on with so that doesn't help either so you're looking at the person who you, you should be speaking to actually you don't want to speak to so yeah. um, that's why I think there was definitely a lot of trial and error in that stage of working out well what what does work what doesn't work how do I how do I manage the situation to the best of my ability so that I can that's not going to impact my performances week after week rugby's rugby is brilliant in the sense that you've got seven day turnaround from game to game or six days so you don't really have much time to dwell on what's just happened before you know it, you're into something else and you have to just get on with it. So, uh, But by getting on with it, you've got to be able to switch on the game face. You know, you've got to be able to move into it, make sure that at a low-lying level, you're not undermining yourself, I suppose, internally, which has, that, that's the key, isn't it, in terms of this resilience, being able to turn it into positive and, yeah. and flipping these round. Yeah, I mean, you're always going to have that um, that negative side of us. We all, we all have it. Um, we may come to it, but we're talking about this, the, this chimp paradox that Dr. Steve mm. Peters talks about. Our, our chimp brain is five times more powerful, so we're naturally going to pick up um, the, the negative impact of things more than we do the positive. So, if performance isn't going well, if you're being impacted by something, we always we always think of the of the negative side. So, it's important that we try and change our mindset to be able to do it, look at it in a different light. To flip it around. Great. Okay. So, so clearly you're in a really good position to take us through this masterclass, and I suppose for the benefit of listeners, um, what we've talked about before that you're going to share with us are ways in which you help clients and you've learned this yourself in terms of how you can recognize signs of stressing yourself and then also manage resilience so there's a few techniques that we can all do um i thought about uh so so almost techniques we can do ourselves then techniques then not so techniques um our environment what we can control about the environment and the people and and the, uh, the things around us that's going to help us um and just really mindset and other strategies that we might be able to do to enhance our resilience as individuals whatever our role we're not all on the rugby field but we've all got plenty going on I suppose this is a good point to um point out you've also got five children now with the, the, yeah. the girlfriend wife so yeah. um you know I know that a lot of our listeners are balancing you know family commitments with work commitments and at the end of the day we're one person so it is about whole life resilience isn't it so that's great so um all right so when you work with your clients or with yourself, what, is, what are the signs of, of stress or what, what drew your attention? Or when do you I know it's happening? The, the first thing to, to look at is this idea of um, perceived pressure and, and stress. So we, we feel pressure, it's an, but it's an external thing, whether it's workload, whether it's the distractions from other people. or So that, that's, that pressure comes from an external source. 
stress comes on because we internalize it in the way that we want to. So um, f- for one person that, that sees pressure in one sense, we'll deal with it in a different way. We're all very different. Um, so one person that sees, um, like I say, yeah, sees one thing that is a stressful situation, actually for another person it might be absolutely fine. Um, that's about mindset or almost their sort of frame frame of reference around that particular situation so it can it can depend on situation it can depend on the type of person they are we are we are different we're ultimately very different people and we all react in different ways so it's understanding what that pressure is and how you firstly how you start to internalize it but what i will say is that regardless of whether you're on a rugby field and you're kicking kicking a ball at the post or whether you are um in a hospital whether you are um in a in a busy office our stress reactions are the same. Internally, they are the same. Physiologically, they are the same. So, being able to pick up on the cues that you may uh, that you may see and even hear in what you're saying, things like "God, that makes my blood boil," for example, mm. the types of things that that language that you're coming out with, you're going, "Okay, well, I'm now starting to get stressed about something," and you start to recognise it in yourself. Likewise, from from a physiological point of view. Does your heart rate start to go a bit, a bit faster? Do you start breathing a bit faster? Do you start to get fidgety or do you start to talk more? For myself, I probably go quiet and I start to internalize things. So it's yeah, recognizing... and I talk more and faster. <laughs> so this yeah. is it, isn't it? So it's understanding those cues that you might um, you might see and hear what you say, and then go, okay, well, this is hap- this is starting to happen. Consciously, what can I do about it? Because most of the time, it's such an unconscious thing that's going on. Our, our stress reaction is an unconscious thing. So until we turn it into the conscious side and go, this is what I'm learning about myself, this is what I know about myself, then we can start to act in a, in a different different manner. So the first point is recognising that, that something's happening as opposed to just following a, a traditional pattern of behaviours. It's taking that moment to stop and recognise that actually probably I behaved in that way because I was feeling stressed or you know, something that was causing that response that I was interpreting in that way. Yeah. Our starting point. Um, so let's say I've so I, I've noticed that myself on something because I felt a bit under pressure on um, something I've got to deliver today. Funnily enough, so uh, one of those things I think for me I do feel maybe my breathing gets shallow and I think my heart rate. I've noticed my heart rate starts not helped by having a really large coffee. Um, so I'm not sure what the <laughs> probably the worst thing I should have should have had a chamomile tea. What would you recommend that I do, or if if we're in find ourselves in a situation, we recognise that starting of that stress response. Yeah. What do you do? I'll, I'll give you a little, uh, a very brief. I mean, I'm not a scientist either, but I'm going to give you a very brief bit of science. Um, so, our autonomic nervous system within within our body is part of um, peripheral central nervous system, but it's um, the autonomic nervous system is all is responsible for involuntary bodily functions like breathing, like a heart rate, like our digestive system. And that is split into two parts. So we have our sympathetic system and we have our parasympathetic system. I can't speak. Um, And when we feel threat, when we feel stress, the sympathetic system kicks in. And that is when uh, your heart rate starts to change, your breathing starts to change. But certainly internally, it's your stress hormones, cortisol and um, adrenaline, they go through the roof. Okay, so... We need to somehow be able to switch that sympathetic system off and, and activate the parasympathetic system. And actually, consciously, the only way we can do that, there are lots of different ways that we can do it, but actually in the moment, it's just purely through conscious breathing. Oh, really? Um, I was listening to the radio on the way here, actually, this morning. Um, Chris Evans was talking about the 478 technique of breathing. People who are insomniacs swear by it. 
because it's one way of, of setting down everything, um, reducing those cortisol levels within our body, reducing our heart rate, reducing that breathing. Well, you have to reduce the breathing because it's a conscious effort to do it. So what's the four, seven? Four? So you imagine you're breathing in for four seconds. Yep. You hold your breath for seven seconds and then you slowly exhale for eight seconds. Right. So that's that's only one one style of breathing. There's another one that, mili- the, that the military have used, which is called box breathing, which in essence is um, breathe in for four seconds, hold your breath for four seconds, exhale for four seconds, hold your breath for four seconds. If you imagine you're going to follow, yeah. fo- follow around in a square, in a box. Um, so there, there, I mean, if you look on the internet, there are lots of different ways of doing it. But the important thing is, is to understand if if somebody's triggered you, if somebody's caused an issue with you, or like say you have this uh, something going on later on today, and you feel like your heart rate's starting to go, you can actually spend two minutes of this of this conscious breathing that's actually going to settle everything down. The I suppose things like these apps and stuff to help you with that, don't they? The thing that's different to me about that is normally you just think about breathing as being in and out, don't you? Is this so it's the in yeah. hold? Yeah. Out, hold the out breath. And actually some of it, the start of it comes from your belly as well. So if you think, sometimes when you're thinking about shallow breathing, you might just breathe and you can just feel your rib cage mm. um, expanding. Up here, but actually if you're breathing in deeply, you open up your belly as well and then you can open up your rib cage and you can actually take more air in. Yeah. And it's a, it's a deeper breath. Yes. And I can get, I get that. But is it important, this sort of holding it in and then rather than just breathing in and out, is that important, that, that sort of holding the breath in? Or holding it out? Um, I don't know that personally. Uh, I, I'm not too sure. I'm just going on what the experts tell yeah. me. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I can only only use it from a, an experience point of view of what I... If I look back to my playing career, when I was kicking a goal, actually one of the main things I used to do was, was breathe. Like the times if I was kicking, I could feel my legs shaking. And I know I actually need my legs to be able to, 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 be able to function properly. One of my coping mechanisms was actually that breathing in that moment. Of course, yeah. Because of course it settles everything down. I didn't realise that at the time, but of mm. course, having seen it now, I kind of go, okay, well, that makes sense now. It's interesting. Actually, years ago, I did um, some NLP training and I did a thing about anchoring, um, which is you know, kind of conditioning yourself to be in a certain state before you're doing something. And I thought about if I was going to do a presentation or go on stage, and mine was something to do with taking basically a deep breath in. Yeah. Which actually is probably quite a sensible thing to do because it slows you down, it calms you down, resets you. It means yeah. I'm not going to be quite a million miles an hour yeah. and speak a bit more slowly. So actually unconsciously probably yeah. I've done that a little bit in I the mean, past. Just to go on to that, we, you hear a lot about the mindfulness and meditation and it's, it's about being in the moment. And if you are concentrating on these on these breathing techniques, you are in the moment. You can't be thinking about what has just happened, which can cause stress with people and you you can't be thinking about what's going to happen in the future which also causes stress with people so you are very much in that moment you're very focused on that on that two minutes three minutes however 30 seconds whatever it may be but you're very much in the moment of 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 allowing yourself to be to be conscious in that in that that, at at that time hence the benefit for sleeping for insomniacs i can imagine because a lot of the time if you're awake in the middle of the night it's your brain is racing on things so what you're doing is focusing on something other than those anxiety thoughts i mean i i I'm personally a good sleeper, so I, I, I can't comment, but I'm just even listening to the radio, they're saying people who are insomniacs swear they can get to sleep within a minute of using this technique. I don't know that. I can't I can't prove that myself, but 
if that's the case, then that's very powerful stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, sleep we're going to talk about it as well, aren't we? Because that's the key part of our well-being. And you know, if you're not sleeping well, and certainly I go through phases of doing it and otherwise, and I will try that technique because I'm one of these I can fall asleep, but then it often can wake in early hours and churning yeah. stuff, and definitely that impacts my ability. Um, to think clearly, although I might also be able to function work-wise, but then I might be more likely to get grumpy with the kids at tea time. So uh, I, I notice the difference in my sort of, you can hold it together in certain circumstances, but the cracks start to show elsewhere, yeah, don't they? Yeah, and I think even when when you talk about being with the kids, I have four-year-old twins and they fight like hell. Mm. And sometimes in the moment when they are going crazy, actually to remove yourself and to spend 30 seconds just that conscious breathing and then come back in the room, you go... A better state. I'm in a yeah. better state of mind right now to be able to deal with this. Yes. Without just flying off the handle and having and having that reaction. Yeah. That nobody. And wants. then everyone's all, all jangly, yeah. aren't they? And it's not great. Is there anything else though? Okay, so the breathing is the fundamental thing that we can focus on. Anyone can do it. it doesn't have to take a huge amount of time. You can do it anywhere. Um, what else would you do about um, managing stress? I mean, certainly when you talked about those external factors coming in in terms of um, media and stuff, do you choose to try and block those out so there are other things that you'd recommend yeah for well people. there's there's one it's, it's managing those distractions those distractions so if you're talking um, if you're trying to be productive and trying to finish a piece of work and yet you've got your inbox flashing up in front of you and you're thinking should I reply to that email or not if you've got, got temptation of social media um, people get a little bit bored of what they're doing so they want to pick up the phone and start looking at the news mm. whatever that may be and then ultimately what happens then is that whatever you're setting out to do in a, in the space of an hour suddenly becomes an hour and a half becomes two hours and things then get stuck then, then get put off so there's a, there's a delay in um in when you when you're finishing things and it's that i guess it's that external pressure of feeling like your deadline is now starting to get closer and closer and closer absolutely and that's when that starts to cause the, the anxiety in people yeah it's that classic sort of um taking control of time management and prioritization isn't it because there's and there's so many more things that can come and interrupt us now so 20 years ago, if you trained someone in a time management course, it was just about you know, shutting the door and stopping people from coming and interrupting you. But now people can interrupt you. Our, our mobiles are probably the biggest thing. But, you know, anywhere there's electronics, we've got things that can come in and flash up at us, aren't yeah. there? So, yeah. And, of course, although those are hugely useful, not only we're a bit addicted to them as well, aren't we? So I think there's almost this... Isn't it something we get a bit of a, um, it's an endorphin or dopamine hit of, of this yeah. sort of thing, which then well, creates I was, that? I was listening to Simon Sinek talk about um, mobile phones for kids and he was saying the dopamine hit that they get from the likes from Instagram and Snapchat and whatever that may be is the equivalent of us being alcoholics which is frightening in a sense because you think he said we're just encouraging this behavior addictive behavior from a very young age with with phones and with technology so he's almost saying we as parents are failing our children by giving them the, this opportunity to have it, even though everybody has it. Mm. And then there's the peer pressure to And in fairness, many of us are as guilty of, of, um, of that as, as our kids though as well, aren't yeah. we, in terms of the interruptions of these, which yeah. then, of course, compounds into the fact that then you've been interrupted. You've picked up your phone and done something like that. I, mean, I told my daughter's revising for GCSEs, and she um, and she's aware. She's got an app, which is quite good, which actually, if you pick the phone up, it's like Leaf or something. Basically, if you pick the phone up when you're supposed to be working, it, it, her plant dies. So you have because and, and there was something else I saw about this where they were saying that even having your phone around you on your table, it was on TV program, um, makes you 
slightly less effective because you're yeah. consciously almost you're having to use self-discipline not to pick it up yeah. and I guess get the dopamine hit yeah so and, and actually we talk about multitasking we're not we're not um we're not very good and the women obviously are probably are more than men but uh <laughs> we're not very good at multitasking at all if you want to give your full attention to something you it has to be that thing and that thing only and unfortunately, we are we do get distracted by things, which ultimately then delays what we're trying to do, and that's where this added pressure comes from. That's an interesting one, actually. I was just wondering. I, I don't actually know whether women are, are more better at multitasking or otherwise. But certainly, um, you're getting we get pulled in different directions. Do you? I, th- I think often multitasking, you can feel quite stressed when you're doing it, or invigorated, depending, because it's mm. the same. It's the same thing, isn't it? Whether you quite like doing that or not, I suppose. Um, is there a difference? Are you aware of any differences between male and females in terms of stress responses? I'm not. I think obviously everybody talks about the fact that women are um, more capable of doing it. I guess I look at it and go, if, if you really want to give your full attention to something, then it has to be that thing only. Mm. It's, um, you talked about picking up your phone when your daughter's doing GCSEs or revising, and you might be having a conversation, but if you're looking at your phone, it's like, well, are you engaged with the phone or are you mm. engaged with your daughter? Mm. So, and it's that it's that kind of thing. Um, regardless, male or female, I think if you, if your mind is on something else, mm. you're not putting hundred percent into into being as productive as possible. And if you imagine from a, from a working day point of view, if you think you could um, reduce your day by half an hour because you haven't picked up your phone and you've been productive in those in those moments when you are working, you think how you think how in a better space of mind you'll be when you leave work at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you've got that extra time to do the things you want to do as opposed to trying to play catch up, which in itself makes you stressed because you've not done all the things you wanted to do. Mm. So um, you talked earlier about the sort of chimp thing, our stimulation by negatives, our being drawn to sort of negatives. Also um, talked about when you were, say, preparing for a uh, a kick or something. One thing we've said there, if we want to be more productive, feel more resilient, it's about getting things done. So we can breathe. It's about getting things done. We talked before about preparation. Is there anything mm. else you'd say about preparing for productivity? Well, um, you, you could, I think, preparation gives us confidence to do whatever we want to do. If you if you imagine walking into a meeting and you've not done any preparation whatsoever, then you you can open yourself up to questions from people which which could throw curveballs at you. So so important that. And of course, that's another that's another reason why we get stressed is because mm. we can't cope with that moment in mm. time. So you go into whatever it may be. If you feel prepared, then at least you go into it with with the confidence that you want. And also, you can talk a little bit about visual visualization. We use it a lot in sport. I used it a lot from a goal king, kicking point of view. I didn't have to be out on the field. Um, who was I listening to recently? Tony Robbins, I think. Have you come across Tony Robbins. Mm. Uh, and he was talking about doing some work with the LA Lakers basketball team, and they did a little study on on practice and on visualization. And they had three different groups. One group didn't do any practice at all, at, at throwing free throws. Uh, the other group did sixty minutes a day of actual practice, and the other group did thirty minutes a day of visualization, so no practice, but just imagining for thirty minutes that every single shot they did was perfect. And when they came to test, um, obviously the group that didn't do any practice were the worst group but between the other two it it was the group that actually visualised them succeeding was the group that was more successful I find that a really interesting um, exercise because I play netball a bit so shooting and sometimes shooter as well and, and I find that I negatively end my mind. I was thinking why is the um, mental practice better than the physical practice in as it is in that 
example. But I suppose it's because you don't get you negative. Miss. You don't miss in the real world. Yeah, so in that 60 minute practice, you're going to have to go through yes. moments. You're you reinforcing your missing as well, of, aren't you? Yeah. Of poor technique, or you get yeah. tired and things start to change. At least in that 30 minute visualization exercise, you're feeling strong and you're feeling perfect in every single one that you do. And, and how the ball flies through the air, for example, it's exactly the same. It, it swishes through the net. So, I think visualizing for thirty minutes must be quite hard. It must be very hard. Because <laughs> your brain would go somewhere else. So you've got to be yeah, pretty disciplined to keep completely. that. Completely. Yeah. But going to the, on that point, but taking it to the business context. So, I'm on a number of um, networking groups, um, and obviously our audience here, a number of them are HR, well, majority are HR, and. I notice quite often, um, particularly standalone HR professionals, have quite stressful situations that they have to go into. So there's always examples where there was one that someone yesterday was worried about over the weekend um, because they were going to go into almost a sort of mediation meeting between a line manager and the employee. And um, they knew that this employee always gets really irate, gets off the, you know, starts shouting and things like that. And they just knew it was going to be a high conflict situation. So I suppose. This is an that is a real example where you know, or it's likely that something's going to be tricky. You've got to deal with conflict. Um, so maybe visualizing. We can do our breathing. Yeah. We can, but in terms of preparation, visualizing being very calm and collected, a very po- a positive outcome. Yeah, visualizing what you want to say to them and how you want that conversation to go, and how and ultimately, if you do that, what's their reaction going to be? So. Yep. And preparing of, the words absolutely. Uh, exactly. Good to write the, the preparation that gives you the confidence to be able to deliver that message in the way that you want it to come out, as opposed to just thinking of catastrophizing the worst case scenario the whole time, and naturally, it's going to. It's going to get that way. So, somewhere, if you then you think about best case scenario, somewhere it's going to be somewhere in between. But the important thing is that you actually you you think about best. You think about um, how those conversations are going to go with somebody. Yeah. So think about how we want it to go because this whole thing about self fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? So if we visualize a positive, then we can always work back from that and think, okay, so what might I have said to influence them? As opposed to if you just go in and react, sometimes we look back and go, oh, that wasn't the right thing to say. Yeah. We just shoot from the cuff so we yeah. can have those rehearsed calming statements or it's It's also remembering that you can't control what their reaction is going to be you can try your best with what you say and what your body language is if they're going to fly off the handle that's their problem not yours Mm. so as long as you feel like you're in a comfortable position personally to be able to deal with that because you've prepared because you've visualized perhaps that moment happening you're going to go okay this is going to happen i'm all right I'm, i'm good with this now that is i think that's a really good point actually and I wonder if that that is a little bit maybe of a female male thing sometimes that that we almost over empathize actually remembering that it's down to, that's that individual's behavior it isn't personal to us and it actually isn't really anything to do with us it's to mm. do with what's going on for them yeah um so we can be have to have empathy for them but yeah. we don't have to take on that emotion personally it, it comes it comes back to controlling what you can control yeah if you feel like you are in that meeting and you've done everything you can to make sure the outcome is as best as it can be, how they react ultimately is down to them, is their prerogative, yeah. not not yours. Yes. So yeah, good good advice to control what we can control. Um, and again, something you can control is who you interact with, I guess, as well. The people that you have you talked earlier about, um, you might have got more support. It, it, the person that was the person that maybe you could have gone to for support, you didn't have a great trust, you didn't have a great relationship mm. with necessarily, you didn't feel like it was the right person. Certainly, I think having a right network around you can can be helpful. I know we've talked before. Yeah. Well, even research says that um, 
high-performing teams and even the best relationships out there, they they have a positive to negative ratio of five to one. A p- five positives to one negative. Exactly. So, as in an interaction or crossword or exactly, yeah, okay. well, everything that you may you that may you may have from a day to day, whether that's email interaction or just physical interaction, as long as those interactions are five times more positive, then you start to see the benefit from a cultural point of view, mm. uh, and it and it links in nicely to um, surrounding yourself with positive people. It's just as negativity is infectious, so is positivity, mm. and you surround yourself with people who are positive. Mm. It makes you feel the same, and it's just human behaviour, isn't it? We like to be around people who energise us, like well, no, I do anyway. Yeah. Uh, and so, by doing that, it just helps you deal with situations in a in a more positive frame of mind. So, restrict the timing. Mean, I suppose in the workplace, sometimes we can't control that. Again, that example we had before, mm. but making sure that you've got that positive support network. Yeah, outside you, you, of that so you can't control what other people are like but you can control who you want to be around with you're going to have to have those interactions with yeah. the negative people because it's just the way it is um, but at the same time if you if you um, gravitate to the to the positive people then of course they're going to help you with your own positive frame of mind mm. and it's about recharging your batteries um, with those positive people which makes you therefore more resilient doesn't it in terms of those um, spiraling up or spiraling down I, I mm. feel in terms of that and you mentioned recharging your batteries there I mean you, you come back to what is probably the most important thing which people neglect is this the idea of sleep oh. and where you get your most recovery from your day's stresses whether that's being at work whether that's family whether that's exercising if you're not recovering at night time and having the quality of sleep that you need mm. your energy levels at the start of the week to the end of the week are going to be very different or day by day even sleep. completely yeah yeah do you, I mean, do you see that um, sleep kind of, there's an overall deficit? Is it, is it, is it day by day or, for, or do you see that you kind of end up overall drained? Um, it depends. Of- it depends what your lifestyle choices are like. It depends how you choose to respond to certain situations. And that's this idea of, if we go back to stress is going to be everywhere and we all, we're all going to experience it. Uh, the important thing is being able to understand when it's happening to be able to switch off because mm. if you don't it becomes this chronic state and therefore we, we don't recover and then we, therefore it impacts the, the quality of sleep but if through the day you experience something that is a stressful situation as long as you remove yourself after that for five or ten minutes to be able to to recharge your batteries mm-hmm. you can finish the day in a, in, in a similar um frame of mind and so recharging your batteries might be taking away get going for a dog walk or it might be going to do some exercise or it might be talking to a friend or it might be planning for the following day i suppose it's it's, yeah. it's, it's whatever is the right thing for you which allows you to sort of channel that and put yourself it, yeah. up success. we are we're all different so we all have our own ways to cope and deal and manage and if it is getting outside and getting some fresh air if it is going for a walk with somebody if it's mm. meeting up with friends doing some exercise whatever that may be but it's it's being selfish enough to prioritise that that needs to be in your diary. Yes. Rather than being a slave to your desk and sitting at your desk for the whole day and not having those moments to recover, it, chances are then it's going to impact your sleep quality because you're still thinking about work when you finish. Because you've been something funny. I'm thinking like I think sometimes you don't realise that something someone's been a tonic. You're around people, you've had a good time. Say, oh, actually, that was that's that was a laugh. You thought you thought it was something quite. Um, 
flippant of you know so something lightweight but actually you feel that it's been a tonic you've mm. been around someone positive you've had a great conversation you've had a good laugh you feel better yeah. and it's making sure that those aren't seen as luxuries they're actually seen as part of the things that we we should be doing to actively completely, recharge ourselves completely it's um I, I, I said selfish before which whether it's right or wrong word to use but it's just important that you recognize that what the, the things that give you energy and actually put them in your day mm. If it is, if it is. And keep them in your day, I mean, yeah. isn't it? That's the, the, the sort of, sometimes, it, I mean, for me, exercise, solo exercise, I probably have to do earlier in the day because otherwise I'll have talked myself out of it. Um, but I find that team exercise, I'm more likely to go and do that, you know, in the evening because of the fact that there's a team thing. And, and the great benefit I think I've found only later in, obviously you, you've been doing this all your life, but only later doing old person's netball um, was that you can't actually worry about work while you're playing something competitive. Yeah. Whereas actually if I'm at the gym, I could do unless I'm distracted by it because your brain's still doing something else. Whereas actually if you're yeah. reacting to something, um, yeah, it's this almost is, active yeah. relaxation. This is the beauty of, of, of exercise that you have to be in the moment. You can't be thinking about the past or yeah, the future. future. If you make a mistake, it's like, well, it's gone. I can't do anything about it. Actually, I suppose that's also because I'm—I mean, let's go on to what you do currently. But because although you're not a fitness trainer, obviously you've got—you've got a great caliber of of what to do there. And I know that you use exercise sometimes in your work, don't you, to help people relax? And certainly, I'm thinking if I'm in the gym and someone's making me do things, it's much harder for me to go. Oh, this is really boring because you're being moved on to the next thing. Yeah. It's more there's a social element. Yeah. So, so I um, so I initially trained as a, as an executive coach, but I always thought there was a piece missing to create that self awareness in people. And given my background in sport, I, um, I then came across a program that was created by a Dutch lady, which um, in, in essence uses sport to create that self-awareness in people, recreate situations that will cause stress, uh, understand how that manifests itself um, in the office or at home, and then obviously learn to be able to do something about it. So uh, whether that is dealing with confrontation, whether that's managing your time, dealing with distractions, managing reactions of other people, you can do all this with exercise. Um, I can show you it's not a boot camp, but it's um, it's just merely a tool to, to create the self-awareness in people. So how would that work then? So uh, let's take our conflict example that we had earlier. Someone I know got to go into a conflict scenario. What, how would you recreate that with a physical? Uh, I don't want to go into too much detail, but it's understanding um, it's understanding the fight and flight response. Right. Have you, have you come across that? Yes. So yeah. some people may know that that's what they do, whether they whether they immediately fight back or whether they freeze and just don't react at all or whether actually they just want to get out of the room. Mm -hmm. Some people may know that, but I will reproduce that situation using exercise, if that makes sense. I'm not going to go into any more detail. So you're going to come over the boxing gloves and I'm going to fight back. (laughs) There's different ways of doing it, but there's certainly boxing techniques and martial arts techniques as well. I'm not an expert in in boxing or martial arts, as I say, because it's it's merely the tool to reproduce those situations. But ultimately, the, the most powerful piece of it is understanding, or is the self-reflection. So, okay, well, if this is your reaction, it's quite clear this is your reaction, because you, you can't write on a survey to say, this is what you would have done. You've just shown me exactly what you do, and that's your default reaction. Yeah. You can't hide from that, which is, going back to the exercise, why you say so you can't be thinking about the future, you can't be thinking about work. It's the same, same idea, you're in the present and the moment. It's quite primal, right? Fight or flight, obviously, yeah. is a, a primal response. Yeah. Um, and if you were to, I don't know, swing at me or metaphorically in the workplace or in the gym, yeah, so, am so, I going to come back to you? So, so, it's, so it's understanding understanding what your what your response is, but then also understanding, well, how's that going to help you at work and how's it going to hinder you? Yeah. So if you are somebody who is confrontational and you're willing to fight back immediately and you don't really take a breath to think about what my reaction should be, 
what's that going to do for your relationship with that person? Yeah, what's the consequence? What's the consequences going to be? And also a bigger picture. How does that look if other people have seen it? So it's, yeah. like I say, it's the, it's the, the powerful piece is the reflection piece, actually understanding, getting to the, getting to the bottom of... But it's quite it a, metaf- it's a metaphor and a quite a tangible one because you, you, you probably bring the feelings out and the emotions out quite quickly because you're yeah. doing it physically. And this is like the idea of understanding physiologically what's, physiologically what's going on in our bodies as well. You can, you can fill in a survey and write, say, this is what I would do and blah, blah, blah. But unless you really feel it internally, if your heart rate's going, if you start to get tense and you can see yourself going, you can recognise those things in the office. It's the same thing when you're outside and you're exercising, you'll start to do something that yes. you start to feel it in your mind and in your body. So if you're recognising that there, um, you start to recognise it when you're in the office. And if I just... If I just bring those two together so the idea of, of exercise and also to be able to um, implement the learning it's this idea of short-term long-term memory so if you think our minds are only capable of holding between five and nine things in our short-term memory before we just spit them out because there's too much going mm-hmm. on so in order to store it in our long-term memory we have to create an emotional attachment to an experience of some sort like when you go to concerts and you see the music going on every you kind of remember those moments so it's just like in, in the coaching side and using exercise, I'm just going to create an emotional attachment to this learning so that when you are faced with it again, and if, whether you're in the office or at some other time, it's actually been stored in your long-term memory so you can actually do something about it, which makes the coaching impactful. I can see that. I can definitely see that. Okay, it's much, so as, so it's, it's not traditional coaching, although you deal with the same issues, business issues, well-being issues, whatever the deal is, you, you know, you're a qualified coach, but you're sort of deepening the experience, maybe accelerating it by bringing physiology into it. Um, sometimes the, there's a, there is a shock factor with it. I think sometimes, certainly with when you're having the traditional conversations, coaching conversations, it can take a while to for the penny to drop with some people. Mm. But if you can produce that moment with exercise in, in the space of 10 minutes, then it's, it's good learning. Good, t- good time management. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get the outcome as well yeah. that you're after. That's great. So... Um, well, I think I think we've we've covered quite a lot of what we we talked about prior to this in terms of how we can be more resilient to overall well being, um, the links with with exercise, um, something that's all, it's all in our control really. So we've we've said it's about breathing, it's about mindset, so reframing things, it's about surrounding ourselves with the right people. Um, there's something perhaps we didn't cover, which I know we've talked about before, um, which is maybe it is a bit. It's about moving forwards, not getting stuck in the present. Although you, 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 in order to deal with the stress, you don't want to, you have to be in the moment, but there's also something about not dwelling on yeah, things, isn't it? Yeah, it's just simply asking yourself the question, is this going to matter in a week? Is it going to matter in a month? Will it matter in a year's time? And if the answer is no to those, to those questions, to those timeframes, then you kind of go, okay, what am I worrying about now? It's a good strategy for because I think there are some people who are sort of on the... Um, can get more anxious. Some people have more of a sort of anxious tendencies mm. and often when they're like that, what they're doing is they, they kind of relive it. They don't, they relive and rethink it. Almost yeah. they must be reprocessing it and therefore getting the yeah. anxiety going. So actually that whole sort of saying that to yourself could be quite a good anxiety management strategy Completely. for, yeah. you know, will it actually be and, and, and to even to add to that, just give yourself permission to fail or to, to make mistakes. We, as children, that's the way we learn. So yeah. for some reason we, we become adults and then we get this, um, inhibitor in us or something that's just holding us back to go I don't want to do that anymore for the just because somebody might say something or might they might react in a different way so um, if we allow ourselves to make those mistakes and just go do you know what shit happens mm. well, let's just move on 
and will it matter next week? Will it matter in a month's mm. time? Ask yourself those questions, and then you, you, you're. It's the frame of mind thing again, isn't it? You're in a better frame of mind to move forward. It really is, and I think there's something there which almost goes full circle to what we were talking at the start. Is that um, be kind to ourselves, but also be kind to other people. Let's allow other people to be mistake, make mm. mistakes. And I often think that um, in the workplace, people who are tolerant of mistakes or, or nice to themselves yeah. are, you know, you know can, they're, they're prepared to say sorry. Yeah. Then actually, I think some of them, them often the most. I respect them more if you like. I so say, I'm sorry I made this mistake. I apologise, I shouldn't have said that. Having the courage to do that and yeah. almost be that self accepting. Yeah. And we should do it to ourselves and we should do it to others. And that's a good way. Yeah, so you've just reminded me. So I, I shared something uh, yesterday on social media. Um, and it's a quote from my wife's great grandfather. Oh, yeah. So this is from 1934. And he owned a very successful department store up in Bradford, up, in, up north. And he, there's a book about the department store. But one of the quotes in this says Form the habit of finding fault with your own work rather with that of other people. Look for the best in everybody, honour what is good and strong, imitate what is worthwhile, and with a breath of kindness, blow the rest away. Wow, so that's almost 100 years ago. Yeah. Wow, we could learn from that, couldn't we? Yeah. That's a great place to... really, really... That's a great place to summarise it. And also, you're saying you would put that out on social media. So, Charlie, if people want to find out more about what you do... um, contact you or follow you on social media what how would they get hold of you so i mainly use linkedin to be honest with you so i'm i'm very active on linkedin i do have a facebook page charlie hodgson performance uh, which is kind of it's there but it's not really that um, you, well well used really but as i say linkedin's my main my main way to get out there and have you got a regular website i have a website charliehodgsonperformance.com right which needs a little upgrading as well, but um, yeah. be kind to yourself. I know, yeah. it's true, it's true, isn't it? It's true. And, what's, and do, you, do you use Twitter or anything else? That's mainly LinkedIn. It's mainly LinkedIn. Great, yeah, business to business. So obviously, we'll put all of the links on the show notes for anybody. So if they want to know more about what you do because you do it corporates and with individuals, don't yeah. you? Um, and uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming on HR Uprising, Charlie. Thank you Charlie. very much. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. You can access more information, including resources or links mentioned in the show at our website, www.hruprising.com. Also, you might want to join our LinkedIn community or tweet to us at HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you.